I'll commence reading in verse 1. Let's all hear the Lord's word. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring is the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eye also shall see my desire on mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. And the Lord bless the reading of His Word for His name's sake. Please bow your head and heart with me for a moment. Let's ask the Lord for His help. Let's all pray. Loving Father in heaven, we come yet again to the throne of grace to obtain grace. Fill thy servant with thy spirit, bear him up, bear him along throughout the message. Grant thy servant to be thy messenger in thy message, and that those whom thou hast gathered together this morning will have a very clear sense that thou art here. Lift that dullness of hearing that often plagues us, we pray. Take the blinder from our eyes that can get in the way of us seeing our God and seeing the truth that we so desperately need to see. And use thy word this morning to change how we live. We are here, Lord, because we want to be changed more into the likeness of thy Son. We want to act more like those who've been born again by the Spirit of God, that those without may see our works the works that Thou hast wrought in us, and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want to direct my message this morning to all of the old people in the congregation. Now, you might wonder why in the world is he doing that? There's only one reason, and that's because the Lord directed me to do that. I uh, attempted to put off, lay down aside this sermon twice, but the Lord kept bringing me back to this particular message. So, it is a message directed particularly to the old people 
in the congregation. Now, now, I imagine, I would think, everybody's wondering, who does he think is old in this congregation? The older I get, the more I realize that one's definition of old is, well, it depends on one's perspective. I remember the day when I looked upon people who were in their 40s and 50s as being old. After I entered the Middle Ages myself, it wasn't long before I looked back, being 40 is somewhat young, and old people, old people consisted of anyone 60 years of age and above. Maybe that's how you think now. I'm well into my fifth decade of existence, a few years away from being 70. And at present, my perception is that 70 is when you really get old. And then I remember taking my mother, who was in her early 80s at the time, to the grocery store. She wasn't able to drive at that point in time. And we were driving along the road, and there was this elderly gentleman in front of us, and he was sort of poking very slowly. And my mom sitting in the passenger seat, look at that old man up there going so slow. He was 82, 83 years of age. Look at that old man. You see, it's all in perspective, isn't it, as to what it is being old. Someone has said that you know when you're old because you get up in the morning with nothing to do and go to bed at night having only done half of it. That's when you know you're old. It is inevitable that the older we get, the less we can do. The body is wearing out. Natural strength recedes with age. Vision declines. Loss of hearing is common. The joints have become worn. The internal organs are not as functional as they were when you were much younger. The mind begins to slip as the brain itself degenerates. The nervous system, like the rest of the body, begins to break down. Things that never caused you the loss of a night's sleep, now you find they trouble you. They affect you much more as you've gotten older. The man who was in his younger days as stable as the rock of Gibraltar can become in his senior years as unstable as water emotionally. He cries at the drop of a hat. He or she doesn't really matter. As a result of this decline that comes with age, the elderly man or woman may come to a point where they may feel quite useless to anyone. They conclude that they are nothing but a burden to their family and to their friends and that they would be better off dead. That there's really nothing left to life 
for them to do except to die. And that kind of self-pity leads to discouragement and even to depression. No doubt that's why a lot of elderly folks suffer with depression. The outlook of the world doesn't help matters any. The growing sentiment across the globe is get rid of the old people. Euthanasia, that medical practice of actively ending the life because of illness or age, it bears testimony to the mentality that old and sick people are a nuisance to society. They cause the greatest cost in the health care system. So they're better off dead. It's not stated in those plain, stark words, but that's the thinking behind it. They've lived their life. What real use are they? If, if, if health care rationing comes in force, it's there to a degree now, I can tell you, but I'm talking about full-fledged health care rationing. Who do you think will bear the brunt of it? Since there's only so much health care to go around, the elderly at the bottom of the list. The thinking is that they've had their shot at life. Give the younger ones a chance. With that kind of mentality, it's no wonder that so many senior citizens get down about being old. And why the, the so often is the case, the younger generation forgets that they need the older generation. The Word of God gives a very different perspective on old people. Far from being unwanted and and useless, the elderly, with this caveat if they're Christians, the elderly are very valuable in God's scheme of things. And that is the only scheme that really matters at the end of the day. It's God's scheme. It's God's plan. It's his, his worldview, right? That's what really matters. I have said it often throughout my ministry. You and I will never live right until we think right. We will never live right until we think right. Not only about God, but about ourselves. Therefore, I draw your attention to this morning to these last three verses of Psalm 92. In them, you will find the story of fruitfulness in old age. Fruitfulness in old age. If there can be fruitfulness in old age, then it means there must be usefulness in old age. The fruit is not grown for the benefit of the tree, it's grown for the benefit of others who will derive help from the tree. So this passage is about Christians who will be found fruitful in old age. 
one more comment before turning to the passages in order. Just because my message is directed primarily to the elderly in our congregation, do not, whatever you do, do not switch off. That would be a bad, bad mistake. All that preachers uh, preaching to old people doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm going to check out. What I have to, more of what God has to say. To the hoary-headed children of God has much to do with you, young people, younger adults, middle-agers, as it does with them, as you'll see. So as we look at this subject of fruitfulness in old age, that's my theme, notice first the preparation for fruitfulness in old age. The preparation. So you've got to get it in your mind. Old people can be very fruitful, very useful, very beneficial in God's scheme of things. But the first thing you need to see is the preparation for this fruitfulness in old age. Those who are said to bring forth fruit in old age are described in verse 13 as those who have been planted in the house of the Lord. In verse 12, the psalmist uses the simile of a palm tree and a cedar of Lebanon to describe the people of God who are planted in his house. On numerous occasions, the the word of God likens believers to trees. David said in Psalm 52, 8, for example, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. You know, that's poetry. We're supposed to learn something from that. Okay, what is the Holy Ghost teaching us? What doctrine is being teaching, teaching his people by saying that believers are like green olive trees? What should I learn about God and about myself from that and about the church from that? Not just read it and say, well, that's a nice poetic expression. In the Song of Solomon, the church is described as an orchard of pomegranates. Why is that? An orchard of pomegranates. Have you ever dug down and find out why it's likened to an orchard of pomegranates? In Psalm 1, the man who is blessed shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth it shall surely prosper. That's another tree. I'll say more about those two trees, the palm tree and the cedar tree, a little bit later on. But for now, the picture I want you to see is that of the believer being transplanted. So the Hebrew word can be translated, transplanted into the house of God. So so the only way that a man can be found fruitful in old age is if he has been planted by God, transplanted by God, in the house of God. It's the only way it can happen. As I said, uh, that Hebrew word could be transplanting, those that be transplanted in the house of the Lord. So the psalmist is describing what happens when, when God takes a plant out of the wilderness, so to speak, the, the wilderness of this world, the wilderness of sin, 
how he takes that person out of that and plants him into Christ. Plants him into the body of Jesus Christ. Now to change metaphors, takes them out of the kingdom of darkness and brings them into the kingdom of God's dear son, the kingdom of light. It's all the same thing. And to be planted in the Lord's house is just a, a, a scriptural way of saying that that person has been brought from death unto life. He's been born again by the Spirit of God. He's been saved by grace. He's saved. He's an honest-to-goodness child of God, a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ. And old things have passed away. The old life is behind him. He's a new creation in Christ. All things, all things have become new. A new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of talking, a new way of desiring. The things he loved at one time, he now hates. And the things he hated at one time, he now loves them. That means you've been transplanted out of the wilderness of sin into the house of God, into that garden of the Lord, the church. It's his garden. And the trees bear fruit. These trees do not grow of themselves in God's house. Our fruit is found from Him. Whatever it is, it's found from Him. They're planted there by God Himself, and the church is often described in the Old Testament as something that has been planted by the Lord. Jesus Himself, He he uses this imagery In Matthew 15, verse 13, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. You know, that is the parable of the wheat and the tares. You know, let's rip all the tares out of the church. They seem to be the visible church. No, leave them alone. Let them grow together. There's going to come a day of separating when we'll have the wheat in in my barn, so to speak, and the tares will be cast away and burned. But again, the idea is that of plants, planted by the Lord. So, uh, long story short is, the Father plants these trees in His house. If you are saved, you have been planted by the hand of Almighty God into His house, His church. He makes the choice of who it is He will plant in His house. He puts them in his soil where they can grow so that they might bear fruit. The the famous commentator Matthew Henry said, It is from his grace, by his word and spirit, that they receive all the sap and virtue that keep them alive and make them fruitful. It's the grace of God that's kept you alive. It's the grace of God that has kept you bearing fruit. Whatever amount of fruit it's been, it's been of the Lord's doing. So when God plants a saved sinner into the church, He unites them to Christ. He implants in them the graces of His Spirit so that they are enabled to receive, they are enabled to receive the engrafted word with meekness. 
They have their spiritual root in Jesus Christ. The point I make is that in order, in order to have fruitfulness in old age, there must be divine preparation before old age is ever reached. That's not to say that people who get saved in the, in the autumn of their life do not bear any spiritual fruit. The fact of the matter is that the greatest evidence that anyone is actually saved is fruit-bearing. I mean, we're, we're not God. I mean, God ultimately is the only one who can perfectly see the heart. He's the only one who knows infallibly if someone's saved or not. So we are left, in one sense, God has put us in the position, whether we like it or not, of being fruit inspectors. Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. The Pharisees, they claim, they profess to be God's children, but Jesus taught his disciples, inspect the fruit. A good tree brings forth good fruit. An evil tree will only bring forth corrupt fruit. By their fruit, ye shall know them. The parable of the sower, there was four kinds of soil, and only one soil where the seed was sown, it's preached the wayside, the hard doesn't even find any root. Two others, well, it gets root, but it eventually, for a couple of other reasons, it just withers away. There's no fruit. But in the last soil, it received the seed. It brought forth fruit, some 100-fold, some 60, and some 30. The big point is it brought forth fruit. Evidence that God had planted it. It was a tree of his doing. It had the, that sap that Henry spoke of, causing it to produce the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. It's the plant imagery again. The fruit of the Spirit, it comes from him, is love and joy and, and peace. Long-suffering and gentleness and goodness, and faith, and temperance, and meekness. If a man is planted in Christ, then he brings forth fruit. If the fruit is not brought forth, then we are left to the conclusion that he is, his root is still planted in the world. It's corrupt. So, yes, even people who are saved in the latter years of their lives, that's, that's not the norm, you know. Majority of people who are saved are saved when they're young. There was... Uh, many, many have made the mistake, I'll get saved when I'm old. They hear the gospel when they're young and they want to enjoy the, the fun of life. They never, ever get saved. I'll get saved on my deathbed. I remember a man in Northern Ireland many years ago. He was a believer. He was on his deathbed. Not far off. His pastor came to see him. He said, you go back and tell the lost. Don't ever think that they're going to think they can be saved on their deathbed. The drugs they give you, your mind is so distorted. 
you can't think straightly. It won't even cross their mind. But this passage is describing trees that are fat and flourishing. Trees that have grown like the cedars of Lebanon, which are massive trees. And that kind of fruitfulness in old age takes preparation well before one reaches old age. Yes, the chief preparation is of the Lord, just as salvation in all of its parts is of the Lord, yet don't miss the truth being alluded to here in this simile of the planting of a tree. The picture is that of young plants, young plants being planted and nurtured and cultivated so that they will bring forth fruit in old age. The point is, young adults, the point is, middle-agers, that now is the time for the cultivation, for the preparation, for the nurturing of your spiritual life, that when you are old, you bear forth fruit. You're useful and beneficial to the, to the work of God, to the church of God. Now is the time. And if there's no, if there's no effort made there, there's no care there, about your life. It's going to be difficult to be fat and flourishing when you're elderly. The way to be fat and flourishing in your last years is to be fat and flourishing in your younger years. I also draw from this a strong encouragement that parents need to train up their children in attendance on the ordinances of public worship. How much God's people fail to appreciate the advantage that comes to a child who was born into a family And the life of that family revolves around the life of the church. I don't know, I don't live in Canada. I don't know the spiritual state of this country. You would know it far better than I, but I don't think it's a whole lot different than what I find in the United States. There's a a growing mentality that church is an add-on It's not the hub around which life revolves. That's not how it used to be. The family life was the church life, and the church life was the family life. Everything revolved around the church family, the work of God. And it wasn't just something you do on Sundays. It was the life. I'm talking about children children when they're young, this being imbibed into their mentality and their thinking, they would, they would think it's strange. You'd want your children to think it's strange that life doesn't revolve around the work of God. It's not that we just go to church on Sundays and then Monday through Saturday we do our own thing and have our fun. 
starts very young in life. Very young in life, sit down with them around the Word of God. The, the family altar has all but disappeared. Mothers and fathers sitting down every day with their children with an open Bible and reading to them from the Word of God, teaching them to pray, asking them questions about what's just been read. It's just that we've had, well, the, 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 you know, the supper's done. Let's move the plates out of the way for a second. Let's read a Bible and somebody prays and you're off to having fun. Even if that takes place. You wouldn't be looking for fruit in old age, would you, if that was, if that was the practice? While sitting in a church and having a family altar never made a child into a Christian, the truth is that God has put a very special blessing upon the means of grace, upon the ordinances as the means to bring that child to Christ and make it, that child, a planting in the house of God. The fact remains that trees that are early cared for and cultivated are expected to produce more fruit and better fruit than those who are not. That's just how it works. Being fruitful in old age is not, in this sense, a matter for old age. That's why I said to you younger folk, don't check out. This is as important to you as it is to the older people. Now is the day of preparation. Not the after years when you have sown your wild oats and have had your fun and lived for the gusto and have made all your money and are comfortable now for retirement. Now you can pay attention to those spiritual things. It's, it's a lie out of hell. It's now you do that. Now. I'm always thrilled to hear about the deathbed conversions of old men and women but I sure would be more thrilled to hear about a little child coming to Christ, being saved early from a life of sin. Wouldn't you? It leads me to my second point this morning. The prospect of fruitfulness in old age. Verse 14, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age, they shall be fat and flourishing. Note that word, underscore that word still. It means that in spite of the fact that they're old, they will still bear fruit, they will still be useful to God, and they will still be useful to the work of God, to the church. It's not time to check out when you retire. It's not time to check out and to look for a life of ease. Now, it's true that in the natural order of things, when trees grow older, they become less productive. 
But these trees that are planted by the Lord are not natural because they are trees of grace. Trees of grace. Where nature declines, grace thrives. It's just the opposite. Peter said at the end of his second epistle, chapter 3, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that admonition from the Holy Spirit through Peter certainly came to the young people, to the congregations to which it was being read, but it also came to the old people. It came to the elderly. And to the old folks, he said, now you old folks, grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. So when someone... You know, brothers and sisters, that means that there's got to be some standard for measuring growth. How can you tell? Because he says to grow, well, have I grown in grace? I I need to do some examining. I got got to be frank and honest before the Lord because he tells me to grow in grace. So how do I measure that? There's some kind of standard, right? It's not constant self-introspection, always taking your spiritual pulse. But it's the reality. Well, I've got to grow. And I've got to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Therefore, I can bear fruit in my old age. I can still be growing in my old age. Growing spiritually. Growing in grace. Growing more productive growing more fruitful. I don't have to confine myself to sitting on the pew and, and sort of throwing in the towel and saying, I am just too old. I am not of any benefit to, to the church of God. I can't do anything. My wife lost the ability to teach the children Sunday school class. She'd done it for 30 years. She was lamenting how sad she was. She couldn't do that anymore. I know she felt like she was useless. I said, Kim, you can write letters. You're good at that. And so I found my wife began to get boxes and boxes of little note cards. And she began to write and to write to encourage people, some who had lost their spouses, some who were suffering illness. She was fruitful, which was for her, in that case, old age. Artificial old age, but it was there. So can you. Many, many years ago, in fact, 1987, my first trip to Northern Ireland, Minister's Week of Prayer, flew into Gatwick, picked up by a young fellow on the church bus, Brian Green's church, if you know that name at all, picked us up, and in the bus with him, picking up these young student ministers, there was an old guy, and he only had one leg. 
prosthesis on the other part. It was a long, long drive from where they lived to pick us up at, at Gatwick. And uh, on the way back, I said, I really appreciate you coming out to pick us up. And he had this, he just had this, you know, rosy cheeks and bright smile on his face. Just a happy man in the Lord. And you know what he said to me? I've never forgotten it. He said, Ach, I always want to do some wee thing for the Lord every day. I've never forgotten that. Hobbling along on one leg. He could have said, I'm just useless, but I always want to do some wee thing for the Lord. He was bearing fruit in old age. Bearing fruit. Productive. The fruitful life of an old believer testifies to the grace of God in three major ways. It testifies first that God's grace is always adapting grace, or if you like the word accommodating grace. Always. That old man, that elderly woman who has walked with God for many a year and is now fruitful and useful in their old age, testifies that God's grace has always seen them through the thick and thin, the highs and lows, the good times and the bad times, because they're still bearing fruit in old age. That's grace. And that means the grace of God has accommodated, it has adapted to whatever their circumstances have been in life, whatever the situation. It wasn't too hard for God's grace to still make them fruitful in old age. The promise that grace is always adapting grace is summed up in that promise of God to his people. Deuteronomy 33, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. The basic idea in that promise is that God will give to them the needed strength they need as long as they live. Day by day, day by day, God promises to give us that whatever we're going to need to work for him, to walk with him, to be fruitful for him, even when we're old. And as I often said, when I'm decrepit. Such a promise is needed because those days by days of our lives brings us to see that we need God's grace to strengthen us or we're not going to make it. I've often failed to see that the reason that the Lord brought me into very difficult circumstances throughout my 30 years of ministry was just so he would teach me how much I need him and that I can't do without him. I failed to see that more times than I want to confess. I've groaned at the trial. I've cried about the trouble. Failing to remember what I want from you 
is to learn your dependence on me, that my grace is sufficient. You know, every day of your life as a Christian, it's brought with it a call to duty. Every day you get up, duty calls. You're you're called to follow the Lord. You're called to obey the master's command, the, the, the will of the king. And you have needed grace to do that. And you couldn't have done it without any grace. The reason you are following the Lord to this day is because God gave you grace every day to do that. Oh, I don't say you've always thrived spiritually. You've had seasons of backsliding, haven't you? You have seasons when you've wandered away from God and your prayer closet has been unvisited and your love for Christ has grown cold. And like the Ephesian church, you've left your first love. But hasn't it been true of you that you've always been brought back to the Lord? You've been brought back to the place of prayer. You've been brought back to His Word. You've been brought back to church. I went away for three years Three years into drugs and drink and bars and nightclubs and the whole thing that goes with it. But by God's grace, there came a day when God said, it's done, it's over. You're coming back. And I came back. Little did I think I would ever be a preacher of the gospel. If you'd known me, I was a long-haired hippie, a drug user, a preacher. Never in a million years. But you want to know what it was? It was the grace of God. The grace of God. Sometimes the day has been a day of suffering, of sickness, or taking care of someone who is suffering and sick. And you've needed daily grace to do that. And you got it. Even though at times it seemed impossible to go on, you did. Over the years, my aging brother or sister, you have felt your weakness and need for grace when you've tried to make spiritual progress. You've seen you've come to a river that's uncrossable and a tunnel that you can't tunnel through and that there's no going forward, but you have. You may have not been at the rate that you would have wanted and liked, but I warrant you, if you were able to plot your Christian life in a chart, it would be like this and you'd be down. It'd be like this and it'd be down. It'd be like this, but you find at the end it's still higher than you were. Because he which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the promise. He must continue to give you the grace you need to go forward. And surely you have felt through the years the need of God's grace to steal you against temptation. I don't say you've always... You have given in to the temptation. You have. Let's be honest. Don't think for one moment, don't don't, don't profess for one moment that every time a temptation came your way that you stood against it. You didn't. But to this day, 
there are temptations you have overcome and are still overcoming. And you will overcome. And you will not go back into the world. You will not apostatize. It will not happen. It will not happen. If it happens, then your power to fail and fall is greater than the grace of God to save and rescue you. And that'll never happen. Mark it down. Never forget it. As your days, so your strength has been. Not only does your old age in the house of God testify to His grace that it's adapting grace, but it also bears witness that it is abounding grace. Abounding. Look at the text. You'll bring forth fruit in old age. You'll be fat and flourishing. It has reference to being fresh and full of sap, vigorous, full of life, even though being old. I said I'd come back to that reference in verse 12 of flourishing like a palm tree. The palm tree in this text is not like the sable palm you see in Florida or wherever. It's a date palm. It's a fruit-bearing palm tree. Several things you need to know about the palm tree, the date palm. The date palm grows in the desert. It grows in the desert. This world is a desert to the Christian And true believers are refreshed, even though they are in this world wilderness. It's a desert out there. It's a desert. But that grace is abounding. We're in this world. We're not of it. We're in it. We're not to hide, go into a little monastery, get a little quiet, safe place, but to be out in it as lights, as salt. And we can be fat and flourishing while in the desert of this world. The palm tree grows in the hot desert sand because it has a tap root that runs deep. We have a tap root that runs deep into Christ. Oh, yes, there are dry times. But eventually the Spirit of God comes and refreshes. Maybe today is just such a day for you. You found some refreshing water from the Word of God. You came in here dry as dust. And the Lord is speaking to you. Because you're a tree planted by God. And you bear fruit even in the desert. The palm tree is very useful. I'm told that they reckon there are 360 uses that come from this date palm tree. Its shadow shelters, its fruit refreshes the weary traveler, and the fact is, It points out the place of water where you find one of those trees. There's a tap root. You 
Dig down, you'll find water. So it may well be true of the Christian of old age. You just have no idea how a word spoken in season to a weary traveler can encourage them if you just look for the opportunity. Encourage, not discourage. Just the word of encouragement. You'll be surprised how that fruit from your own life will be refreshing to somebody else. Like that old man with one leg was a challenge to me. Just do some wee thing for the Lord every day. For the Lord. You can point out the place of water to those who are thirsty. Christ is the fount of living waters. You tell me you can't be useful in old age? The palm tree, this date palm, produces even to old age. The best dates are produced when the tree is from 30 to 100 years old. The best. 300 pounds of dates are yielded annually from each tree. 300 pounds. So the Christian can and should grow more useful as he becomes older. Fat and flourishing. Full. This is a lengthy but worthwhile quote from the American Presbyterian minister and commentator Albert Barnes. An aged man should be useful. He should feel that whatever wisdom he may possess as the result of long study and experience belongs to God and to truth. That one great reason for sparing him is that he may be useful that the world needs the benefit of his counsel and his prayers, that his life is lengthened out not for his own ease or enjoyment, but that virtue and piety may be extended in the world by all the influence which he can bring to bear upon it in advanced years. It may be added that as a matter of fact, those who are thus trained and are thus preserved are useful in old age. No one thus spared need be useless. There is something appropriate for old men to do as there is for the young and the middle-aged. And it should be the object of an aged Christian to find out what that is and to do it. To find out what that is and to do it. You've been spared by God. You've been given all these extra years, so to speak, that you might be used by God in the work of God. Not just to sit and retire in ease. The day of rest is coming yonder. Because God is able to make all grace abound that ye, we old folks, I'm quoting scripture, that's a paraphrase, we old folks, 
having all sufficiency unto all things, may abound unto every good work and word. Even in our old age, abound. Because God's grace is abounding grace. Finally, God's grace is always abiding grace. It's going to persevere right to the end. He'll never take it away. He'll never abandon us. We'll never fall away, apostatize from his grace. There's a line of an old hymn that says, His grace shall to the end stronger and brighter shine. So the psalmist says, This God is our God forever and ever, and he will be our God, guide even unto death. Unto in the Hebrew means over, even over death. Yep, unto it. At the deathbed, he'll be our guide. Through death itself, he'll be our guide right over into the land of glory. John Owen, the Puritan, said, when believers are under all sorts of bodily and natural decays, that's us, and it may be, have been overtaken with spiritual decays also, there is provision made in the covenant to render them fat, flourishing, and fruitful, vigorous in the power of internal grace, and flourishing in the expression of it in all duties of obedience. Blessed be God for this good word of grace that He hath given us, such encouragement against all the decays and temptations of old age which we have to fight with. Man, oh man, it's about grace. It's always been about grace. God's abiding, adapting, Abounding grace. And why? What's the purpose of it all? The last verse tells you to show that the Lord is upright. To show that the Lord is who he says he is. To show that the Lord is good and he's great and he's holy. That's why you're here. To glorify him. Even in old age, bringing forth fruit. God read his word on our hearts today for his name's sake. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Our God and our Father, in Jesus' name we ask thee now for mercy, grace to take to heart the word, not to forget. The devil wants to come and snatch the seed away, but, oh, Lord, we pray it will fall upon good ground. It will be understood. And as thou hast spoken to thy people in that still, small voice, 